Welcome to a Biblical Perspective Podcast, where God's point of view matters. I'm your host, Prophet C.T. Johnson. Join me as I boldly and unapologetically address the church's stance and position regarding an array of subjects and topics using the Word of God as the frame of reference. Are you ready? Let's hear what God has to say. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, his disciples, how is it? that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Mark chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What a joy it is to be back with you, my Biblical Perspective Podcast family. Today, we're going to deal with the subject, eating with sinners. Such an intriguing topic, eating with sinners. Allow me to share with you a Facebook post that I made just a few days ago via my personal Facebook page. And the post said, Jesus never compromised his standards and principles to fit in or to be accepted by society. So why are we? Why is it? If we would be honest, why is it that we're seeing such an increase of compromise within the body of Christ? And this compromise, the spirit of compromise that has literally taken over the church is for the sake of relevance, for the sake of of being what many consider the church without walls. If we're going to reach the millennials, if we're going to reach the unchurch, then there are certain things that we must do in regards to our worship services as it pertains to our appearance. We must make certain adjustments. We must compromise in certain areas because by all means, this is the 21st century. Uh, Society has changed. This is the 21st century. We are more advanced technological wise This is the 21st century. We have to make the necessary adjustments where methods, methodologies are concerned. And yeah, I agree with you in that regard as it pertains to the changing of methods, the changing of methodologies, procedures, things of that nature. But one thing that is not to ever change, and that is the Word of God. And listen, many people say that, well, the methods change, but the Word doesn't change. 
But for most that say that, they have not held fast to that confession. Not only did their methods change, but their message changed as well. And so we need to be honest about what has transpired and yea, what is continuing to happen within the church as it pertains to this spirit of compromise. I'm all right with methods changing, but we need to be very careful even with the changing of methods because catch this in some instances, hear me and hear me well. In some instances, it is impossible to change your method without changing your message. Did you hear that? Let me repeat that. In some instances, it is impossible to change your methods without changing your message. And many leaders throughout the body of Christ have changed their message. And their reason is due to relevance. We have to be relevant. We have to be touchable. Listen, there's no scriptural precedence for compromise. Compromise to adjust or settle by mutual concession. There is no scriptural precedence for us adjusting or settling for what is less or beneath the standard that God has set. I'm all for compromise in business, all for compromise regarding certain relationships, marriage, depending on what it is, you make adjustments, you settle, you give a little, take a little, give a little, you know, all of that. But I'm talking about where the word of God is concerned. There's no compromise. There is no compromise. There is no settling. There is no adjusting. Well, I know what the word says as it pertains to abstinence, but this is the 21st century. I know the Bible says that we ought to, if you be a Christian parent, you ought to train up your child in the way that they should go. Operative word should go. And they should go in the way of God's will, not society. And so there are many that are saying, well, you know, I know what the word says, but she's 18 now. He's 18 now. And so uh, just in case they decide to go out there and fornicate. I know y'all don't call it that, but that's what it is. Uh, if they go out there and decide to do that, then I want to make sure that they are equipped and that they are knowledgeable of the options that are afforded to them and they're knowledgeable in regards to all of the various types of contraceptives that they listen, shut that up. See, that's where that spirit of deception has crept in where Christians think it's okay to provide their children with the world's option. How foolish is that? If you be a Christian parent, 
You're supposed to train up your child in the way they should go, not the way they want to go, not the way they desire to go, not the way they feel they should go, but the way they should go, the way that is right, according to the maker, according to the manufacturer, according to the creator. He knows best because all that exists, he created. He holds the patent. Are you following me? He knows what's best for you, me, your family. And so we're to train them up in the way that they should go. So how is it that Christian parents are compromising? Christian parents are giving the the uh, practicing safe sex speech to their children that are going off to college. No, you need to be giving them the abstinence speech. You ne- All right. All right. Let, let me hit the bell. Let me hit the bell. Let me hit the bell. You ought to be. See, I'm going somewhere. I'm fired up already. Can you tell? We ought to be giving them what we are supposed to be living in accordance to. And don't let your children sucker you (laughs) by saying, well, you had me out of wedlock. Yeah, I may have had you out of wedlock. That's a fact. Yeah, mm -hmm. can't go back and change it. But I'm now doing better because I know better. I wasn't living in accordance to the word of God then, but I am now. And so I'm training you in accordance to the word that I now am obeying, that I now am in compliance to. See, don't let your children punk you in to, uh, or rather, don't let them play you and play on your mistakes and cause you to feel guilty about your waywardness and because you did what you're telling them and are instructing them not to do that you're not qualified no I'm that's why I am qualified because I have lived out what you are being presented with opportunity to experience that you need turned down all right And so are y'all still with me? Are you flowing with me? And so we are going to deal with this spirit of compromise that has crept in to the church. And the reason that many are giving is relevance. And then they have the audacity to take scripture out of context, such as Mark 2 14 through 17, which we read at the beginning of the podcast. And we're going to unpack and unfold here very shortly. But there are many that are using the scriptures out of context to to validate their disobedience. And that's exactly what it is. Disobedience. You have leaders Now, dressing in accordance to the culture, dressing in accordance to what society has deemed fashionable. When the word of God says that there is to be a distinction between God's people, 
God's children and the devil's children. Did did we forget that? Did we forget that we are a peculiar people? Hmm? Peculiar means different. Peculiar means strange. Peculiar means opposite of. We're not to stand or whether we're not to blend in. We're to stand out. Get that. We're not to blend in. We're to stand out. There is to be a distinction between clean and unclean. So now you have the preachers wearing skinny jeans. Now you have the females that are exposing their body parts and accentuating their physicality and or their physical pulchritude. Listen, listen, listen. Come on. Come on. Where in the scriptures? Show me in the Bible. I don't care what you think. I don't care about your outlook on this. Show me because we are to be as Christians, as God's elect. We're supposed to be following the blueprint that 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 has been established in the scriptures. So show me in the scriptures where we were given permission by God to look like the world in order to witness, in order to reach them, in order to preach to them. Where in the scriptures? Where is the scriptural precedence that says in order for us to effectively witness to the unregenerated, to the sinner, to the prostitute, to the liar, that we have to dress like them, that we have to present their image that we have to look like them to win them, that we have to look like them in order to go in and out among them. You can't find it in the Bible. You know why you can't find it in the Bible? Because it's not in there. This is cultural trash that we have adopted the church whereby, well, you have to be relevant. How can you win them if you don't look like them? How stupid is that? Just think about that. How stupid is that statement that you can't win them if you don't look like them? Why would they want to convert over to Christianity when we're offering and presenting the very thing that they already possess? What's what's the point in switching sides, in switching teams, if what you're being offered is what you already have? Come on here. Can we be a cerebral church for a moment? Can we stop being emotional, hikamasaying and jumping over pews and slapping folks? No, slap yourself <laughs> until you <laughs> slap yourself until you wake up and realize that the world has hoodwinked and bamboozled us and deceived us, whereby we are convinced 
that if we don't dress like them, if we're not tattooed up like them, if we're not pierced up like them, if our dress is not as tight and heist up as theirs, that they won't hear what we have to say. No. Why would they? When what you're projecting, what you're offering is exactly what they already have. What's the difference? Do you see how, how, how I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to be nice. I really am. But do you see how deceived many within the body of Christ have become? And so go the priest or rather so go uh yeah so go the priest as as the priest goeth so goeth the people that's what i'm trying to say as the priest goeth so goeth the people meaning what the leadership project what they do what they exemplify the example that they are or fail to be that's what the people will pattern themselves after. And so again, many are using the scriptures to validate, to solidify their decision to compromise. And as we read in Mark two fourteen, Jesus was found eating with sinners, eating with publicans. And publicans, that's King James' word for, in essence, a tax collector. And publicans, just to give you very brief history as it pertains to um, publicans and uh, I'm trying to pull up my information here publicans from Wikipedia were despised Jews who collaborated with the Roman Empire because they were best known for collecting tolls or taxes. They were commonly described as tax collectors. So just to give you some understanding as it pertains to publicans, they were not seen as nice people. They weren't uh, seen as honest and or integral individuals. And many of them weren't. They were individuals who uh, abused their authority and manipulated people as it pertains to their, their, their manipulated them out of their, their money. So Jesus is found eating with sinners and these non-integral tax collectors, these greedy folk. And 
the Pharisees and the scribes, they had an issue with Jesus eating with sinners, eating with publicans, because understand that they were concerned about personal reputation. Okay, hear me. They were concerned about personal reputation. They had a form of godliness, but they possessed no power. Their lifestyle did not coincide with their outward expressions. Okay. They didn't have a life that upheld what they declared, what they preached. And they were very big on reputation, how they were perceived in the eyes of the people. And do you recall Jesus said that he made of himself of no reputation? In other words, he said, listen, I'm not here to represent me. I'm here to represent God. I'm here to represent the king. I'm here to establish uh, to establish God's kingdom here in the earth. I'm here to establish the constitution of God's domain of God's world here in the earth. He said, it's not about me. It's about the father. It's about his will. It's about his intent. It's about his plan. It's about his purpose. So in other words, Jesus said, I'm not here to represent me, but I'm here to represent him. And that's what an ambassador is. An ambassador does not represent themselves. An ambassador represents the nation in which they are a citizen of. Everything they do, everything they say is a representation of the nation that they are a citizen of. Okay. And so Jesus was not concerned about how he was seen or perceived in the eyes of men. As long as he was fulfilling the purpose, the plan, the will, and the intent of his father. So Jesus is found eating with sinners and eating with publicans. And the Pharisees and the scribes notice they didn't ask Jesus. <laughs> they asked his disciples. Now the question was in regards to what Jesus was doing. So why not go to the source? Why not ask Jesus? Why are you eating with these sinners? Why are you eating with these publicans? No, they were obviously afraid. They were intimidated. They were scared. And so uh, they took the easy route and asked his disciples. But Jesus heard it. And his response to them was, listen. He said, the whole need not a physician but those that are sick people who are well people who feel well people who have no physical illness no physical ailment 
they don't go to the doctor as it pertains to them having a need. Now we understand that there is such thing as a routine checkup and all of that good stuff, which we need do. All right. But those who are well, they don't seek out a physician because they don't have a legitimate reason. He said, but the sick, the infirm, the disease, of course, speaking from a spiritual standpoint, he says they are in need of a physician. Hence, this is why I'm eating. I'm hanging out with them. I'm going somewhere. He says, because I realize that they are sick, sin sick. Their soul is sick. And I am the great apothecary. I am the deliverer. I am he that is able to heal the sin sick soul. So Jesus said, listen, I have purpose for being in their midst. I'm not compromising because there are many that take the scripture to say it's okay to drink. It's okay to smoke. It's okay to be in not just the company, hear me, but it's okay to participate in sinful activities and to participate in carnal environments, to interact, to expose my mind, my spirit, to expose myself to environments and activities that are sinful and carnal. They use a verse of scripture such as Mark 2, 14 through 17, erroneously, they use it errantly, but they use it nonetheless saying, well, Jesus hanged out with sinners. Jesus was eating with, yet notice, the scripture does not say that Jesus fellowshiped. It said he ate with them. He ate with them because you cannot effectively witness to those that you have no interaction with whatsoever, that you have no dealings with. Because let's be honest, people normally need to Find a common denominator, a common thread between you and them before they begin to share issues and problems and circumstances before they let their guard down, before they become uh, vulnerable in your presence and inform you of the circumstance that they need help with that they are dealing with. No, they need to first have again established 
a common denominator, a common thread between you and them. There must be some level of trust established. And so Jesus being the sovereign that he is, being the, the, the omniscient God that he is, being the infinite God that he is, infinite in wisdom. He said, listen, I am going to put myself in their midst without compromising who I am. Oh, y'all didn't catch that. He said, I'm going to make myself accessible without making myself vulnerable to the environment, to the demons, to the principalities, to the devils that currently govern their life, restrict their life, dominate their life. He said, I'm going to make myself accessible without compromise. I'm not going to adjust who I am to make them feel comfortable around me because truth, the purpose of truth is to upset the surrounding, the environment and the atmosphere of that which opposes it. See? And so he says, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to adjust. I'm not going to settle just for the sake of comfortability for them to make them feel at ease. Well, listen, we're not supposed to judge. Shut that up because you don't even understand, first of all, what the meaning of the word judge and or judgment is. Secondly, you don't know your scripture because the Bible says that we are to judge, but to judge righteously and or with righteous judgment. So we're going to deal with that in a few seconds here as well. So the Pharisees, the scribes said, listen, why is he eating with these sinners? That's not right. That's not appropriate. That's not politically correct. See, they were concerned about their image. They were concerned about how they were perceived in the eyes of society. And Jesus said, "Mm -mm, I know that again, in order for me to do what I've been sent to do and yea, to be what I have been sent and ordained to be to the sin sick soul, which is a balm, a healing salve. He says, I have to be accessible. So I'm in their midst. I'm among them. Catch this, but I'm not a part of their activities. I'm among them, but I'm not involved in what they're doing. I'm among them, but I don't condone the current activities, practices, belief systems that they ascribe to. Hmm? 
Are y'all hearing the revelation? Are you hearing God? He said, I'm in the midst, but I'm not participating. Second Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. Many forget <laughs> what the Bible says as it pertains to connections, relationships, associations. See, we don't have to figure this stuff out on our own, beloved. God gives us explicit, specific, detailed instructions in his word. Second Corinthians chapter six, starting at verse 14. Listen to what the Bible says. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship, operative word fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion, another operative word hath light with darkness. Verse 15. And what concord hath Christ with Belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, an unbeliever a sinner and what agreement Operative word there as well, hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now wait a minute, Johnson. Now you read there in Corinthians where uh, in that 17th verse of the sixth chapter of second Corinthians, he said, come out from among them. But in Mark two, we see where Jesus was eating with sinners. Yes, that's a contradiction. No, it's not because Jesus was eating with the sinners, but Jesus was not partaking of their lifestyle. And so when the apostle in second Corinthians, again, chapter six, that 17th verse has come yet from among them. He is not talking about coming out from among them physically coming out from their presence and or exiting their midst. He is saying, come out from their practices. Cease. Cease to be a part of their practices, their environments. You are a new creature now. So you are no longer allowed. You're no longer permitted to partake of certain practices, environments, behaviors, because they contradict your new nature. They oppose who you now are in Christ. See, are you listening to me? And so the spirit of compromise where we, 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 we have this thing wrong where again, you have leaders uh, signing off on tattooing and piercing. And then they have the audacity to lie, to blaspheme on the Holy Ghost, saying God told them to tattoo themselves. God told them to pierce their ear. God told them to put 15,000 different colors in their hair so that they could relate to the people they're witnessing to lie, lie 
and liar. There's no scriptural precedence for compromise when it comes to the doctrine of the apostles, the doctrine of God, the scriptures. No, 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 no. Uh -uh. He said, put a difference between holy and unholy. So we have to be very mindful of who we allow to teach us because there are many that are not rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's dissect and define this word fellowship that we read in that 14th verse of second Corinthians, the B portion for what fellowship hath righteousness and unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness fellowship from etym online is to hold communion with listen to unite with in doctrine and discipline. Did you hear that? To have fellowship with an individual, to have fellowship with people is to unite with their doctrine, with their belief system. See, Jesus in Mark 2 didn't have fellowship from this standpoint. He had fellowship in 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 regards or from the position of breaking bread. See, but we fail to, and that's why I'm so big on having understanding, proper understanding, correct understanding, right understanding in regards to the meaning of words, because we fail to realize that there are various or different meanings for one word. And so we have to study and do our homework and do due diligence and make sure that we have the proper understanding, meaning of a word in regards to the context. Okay. So fellowship, Jesus was fellowshipping in Mark chapter two with the sinners and the publicans from the standpoint of breaking bread, eating with them. However, he was not fellowshipping with them from the standpoint of what second Corinthians chapter six talks and teaches us about in regards to what fellowship hath righteousness and unrighteousness. What, 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 what fellowship there is no union. There's no agreeance of doctrine and discipline between the righteous and the unrighteous. Hence them being righteous and unrighteous, Be them being righteous and unrighteous. That's proof that there are two different doctrinal standards, two different belief systems or two different disciplines. Because for those of you that think, um, uh, not having to dress up on Sunday in a suit and tie and or a dress and, and, and being able to come into the house of the Lord and into the sanctuary casually with jeans and capris and tennis shoes. You think that's not a discipline newsflash. That is a discipline. <laughs> Your discipline is just different from the formal church apparel. 
Let me say it that way. But dressing down is still a discipline. Y'all come on here. Can I just teach while I'm teaching? See? So that's fellowship. We're talking about eating with sinners. Jesus didn't compromise. He didn't do what a lot of these leaders are doing today. See? Jesus did not settle or make adjustments for the sake of people not feeling judged, not feeling convicted. Now, Jesus didn't go around condemning folk. Newsflash, newsflash, newsflash. You, do you want to know why Jesus did not condemn? Remember the scripture? He says, I didn't come uh, to condemn the world. See? Is that not what he said? Is that not what he said? Do you want to know why Jesus said he didn't come to condemn the world? Huh? Lord have mercy. Let me find this here. Because I feel like teaching while I'm teaching. Let's look at John 3 and 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you want to know why Jesus did not come to condemn the world? Newsflash. Here's the bell again. He did not come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. Sinners are already condemned. They're already on their way to hell. Their ticket has been bought unless they receive Christ and switch their tickets from hell to heaven, switch their tickets from death to life. Come on. We are already condemned. We're born and shapen in iniquity. That's why Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. The world and those within were already held bound, were already on their way. Ticket signed, sealed, and delivered. The only way for our destiny to be changed was and yet is to receive Christ. So that's why he didn't come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. See, that's what happens when you have a prophet of God, when you have a man and or a woman of God that rightly divides this word of truth. Come on here. Are you... Uh, come on, are you flowing with me? And so that's why he didn't condemn the world because the world was already condemned. So I, in the name of Jesus, I, by the power of my prophet's mantle, I shift all those listening under the sound of my voice. I shift your mind this day. I literally oppose that spirit of compromise that has targeted many of you and has convinced many of you that in order for you to be an effective witness that you've got to make adjustments where the standard and the doctrine of God is concerned that there is no leeway or precedence for. Come on, we don't back down. We don't shake. We don't bend. 
or rather we don't break. We might bend, but we don't break. There's no compromise in this thing. All right. There's no compromise. So fellowship again is to hold communion with, to unite with in doctrine and discipline. Jesus didn't do that. So again, for those of you that are using the scriptures errantly and erroneously so that you can feel good about your decision to compromise, your decision to go to the club. I'm going to the club to witness. No, you're not. You're going to the club to club. You're going to the club to engage in that environment. You're going to the club because you're in fellowship with that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I want to define one other word that so many are throwing out now. Well, who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? Let me help all of you, all of us. Who are we to judge? We're the church. Who are we to judge? We're the church. Once more, who are we to judge? We're the church. That's a duty of ours. That's a responsibility of ours, especially based upon what the Apostle Paul said. We're to judge those within the house of God those whom claim to be citizens of the nation of Jesus Christ. We're not to judge those without Paul says, why? Because they're already judged a decision. A judgment has already been made and it will not change unless they coincide, align themselves with God's will. For the wages of sin is death. I don't care what the LGBT puts in print as it pertains to their Queen James Bible endeavoring to change the law, the word of God. His word is forever settled in heaven. You can change the Bible, but you can't change the scriptures. Come on here. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You may be able to change the Bible, but you can't change the scriptures. Now y'all just sit on that. Meditate on that. Mm-hmm. And so this word, I want to deal specifically with the word judgment, which of course derives from the root word judge, because we have so many that again, well, who are we to judge? And you can't judge me. And we're supposed to be a loving church. And, 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 and Jesus didn't judge nobody. You don't know Jesus. You're not saved. You don't know the Bible. Yeah, Selah, let that sit. Because we're going to, before I get out of here, John 8 Verses 3 through 11, that account that many love to use out of context in regards to Jesus didn't judge and who are we to judge as it pertains to the woman caught in adultery. Let's define the word judgment very quickly. Judgment, capacity for making decisions. Hmm. 
That's what the word judgment means. It means capacity for making decisions and authoritative decision. Also, the meaning of the word judgment. So, to judge is to discern. It is to uh, examine, judge. It is to appraise. It is to make a diagnosis. See, 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 this is why it's important for us to understand the meaning and not just 21st century meaning, but the, 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 the etymological meaning, the origin of a word. What was the original meaning when the word was created and judge as of the, uh, 1200 century examine appraise make a diagnosis as of the 1300 century judge to form an opinion about all right also to inflict penalty upon punish pronounce sentence okay but that's not the only meaning Again, judge to make a decision, to decide, to think. You made a judgment today as it pertains to listening to a biblical perspective podcast. You made a decision, a judgment to tune in, to subscribe, to listen. See, but we have allowed this world and this culture to sell us a bunch of malarkey as it pertains to what judgment judging is all about. Well, who are we to judge the church? We're not supposed to judge it. Yes, we are. So now let's finish up with John chapter eight, verse three. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what saith thou? This say, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him but Jesus stooped down with his finger wrote on the ground as they as though he heard them not so when they continued asking him he lifted up himself and said unto them listen to this he that is without sin among you let him first cast a stone at her Now, before I finish the rest of the verses, we're going to conclude at verse 11. I have to deal with this verse 7 because many of you misquoted what the Bible says. Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. He never said that. We just read it. It's not in the scriptures. It's not in the Bible. I'm not talking now. It might be in these 
new watered down, dumbed down versions of the Bible, but it's not in the Bible. Those Bibles that were written in the nineties and the eighties and uh, beyond. Uh-huh. Notice what it says. He that is without sin among you. Jesus was specifically talking to those who were in the crowd whom had brought the woman to him. He said, all right, those among you, if y'all don't have no sin in your life, he didn't say he who is without sin. No, he says between y'all, since y'all want to bring her because of the wrong that she's done. If you don't have any wrong among yourselves, because some of them probably were her previous customers. Mm-hmm. He said, he who is without sin among you, cast the first stone. Just think about that. You see, when you put those words in among you, how it changes the entire context of the text. We've been misquoting it. Verse eight. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground and they, which heard it being convinced, being convicted rather by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had lifted him had had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. He said unto her, woman, where are thou? Where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Concluding verse, verse 11. She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, listen. I want you to understand as we close. <laughs> I feel like. I'm in the pulpit uh, preaching to the congregation as, as I close, as I close, as we conclude today, listen, Jesus, for those of you, again, those folk who ascribe to the, uh, we are not to judge and Jesus didn't judge nobody. Jesus judged this woman right here. Yes, he did. He didn't condemn her, but he judged her. Oh, yeah. oh, God, come on. He didn't condemn her, but he did judge her. I already defined judgment and judge for you. Judgment. An authoritative decision. Jesus didn't condemn the woman, but he judged her. He made a decision on her behalf. He says, go. But here's the judgment. Here's the judgment, woman. He says, go. You're not condemned, but I am rendering a decision. I am rendering a judgment. He says, go and sin no more. Don't find yourself in this predicament again. Notice he didn't say go and stop fornicating. He didn't say go and stop committing adultery. That's not what he said. You didn't read that. Come on. He said, Jesus said, go and sin no more. 
you from this point on woman, you are charged to live a sinless life. Eating with sinners. Church, we cannot afford to compromise. There are too many souls at stake. We've got to stand. And when we have done all to stand, stand therefore with your loins gird with truth. Hmm? It's challenging at times. It's hurtful at times. It's uncomfortable at times. Standing for God, defending him, guarding him, all of that. But it's worth it. And let me help you. If you fight for God, God definitely will fight for you. This is Prophet C.T. Johnson. I love you. Be empowered. I want to thank you for listening to a Biblical Perspective podcast where God's point of view matters with yours truly, Prophet C.T. Johnson. If you enjoyed today's episode, I invite you to rate and subscribe to the podcast at cpnshows.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about myself and C.T. Johnson Ministries International, visit the website at ctjohnson.org or text the phrase prophetic voice to 54244. And don't forget to connect with me on social media via Instagram and Twitter at CTJ Ministries or via the ministry's Facebook page at CT Johnson Ministries. I also invite you to subscribe to my YouTube channel, CT Johnson Ministries, also known as Prophetic Voice TV for 24 hour, seven days a week of prophetic empowerment. And lastly, be sure to watch my national television broadcast, Prophetic Voice, on Dominion TV, airing Tuesdays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Watch the broadcast via Roku, Apple TV, or by downloading the Dominion TV app from your Apple or Google Play Store or via the website dominion.tv. Tune in next week as we boldly and unapologetically share God's point of view.